Good evening. We're continuing the Talmud series. I believe today it's number 39. And uh, we are uh, actually, without realizing, we actually finished last week Masechet Baba Kama. So uh, the last thing we spoke about last week was a uh, Mahala, Mara, which is a sickness. Uh, that is actually 83 different sicknesses and Mahala in numeric value it's 83 Mem it's 40, Chet it's 8, Lamed it's 30, A it's 5, together 83 Why it's, what's the, the significance in 83? that is 83 sicknesses that can go into a person's body and all of that can be cured with eating bread every morning when a person eats breakfast, he eats even one slice of bread. If he cannot eat bread, he eats cake, something that was made from flour. But once a person uh, eats this, it's called patshachrit, morning uh, bread, then it eliminates these 83 different sicknesses. Now we are in Masechet Baba Metzia. As if, I, if you remember, last week I explained that there are three different bavot, Baba Kama, Baba Metzia, Baba Batra, which is all manners of money issues, disputes, court, and the reason that it was divided to three because it's too long. So it's divided to three different thirds. Baba Kama means first gate. Baba Metzia means middle, Emtza means middle, middle gate. And the last one will be Baba Batra, which is the longest Masechet in uh, Talmud. Very long, it's 176 pages. So, uh, we are in Masechet Baba Metziah, and this is what the Gemara say. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, someone whose father left him a lot of money, but he wants to spend all this money very quick. He wants to burn his money. Obviously, nobody wants it, but if he's going to do ABC, that's what's going to happen to his money. What? He's going to wear linen clothing. It's interesting. Just an hour ago, someone sent me an email. If you bought a linen suit, if you still have to check it for sharpness, because all the suits has wool. And they sew it with linen stripes, which makes it not kosher. But what happened, it's very rare to hear that you have a, a linen suit. Everything is linen. It's very rare. You don't find them that often. So now he say, if you still have to check it for wool. Because when it's wool, when it's 100% wool, we worry maybe they saw the buttons or the color inside, so they have linen. But if it's 100% linen, technically, usually it's not a problem. But the question is, what is the net inside the color made from? You don't know, maybe they put wool inside. Maybe they saw the buttons with wool stripe. It's very, it's very hard to know, but... Uh, the Gemara brings uh, the linen clothing as an example for expensive things. It was probably cost a lot more than regular clothes. Uh, I don't know today if it's more expensive, but this is how it was 2000, ago, 2000 years ago. So if a person wants to burn his father's money, wear linen clothing. Use china plates and silverware and all this. Uh, rent uh, workers and don't stay in a business to watch what they do. Leave them and trust them until they burn your business completely. And 
The Gemara, I think also we, we spoke about this also last week, uh, but we didn't finish, so let's finish this page. Tanu Abanan, someone who find uh, wood utensils that are made from wood. He's using them that they won't get rotten. Because remember, wood, the more it gets wet, eventually it becomes rotten. If he finds mechoshet, uh, means mechoshet, uh, what do you call it? Bronze? Bronze. Bronze. Copper, copper, right, copper. Copper, copper, copper uh, utensils, copper, made from copper, is allowed to use them for hot, but don't put them on fire because the fire destroyed copper. If you put them directly on the fire, if you put hot boiling water in it, no damage. But if you are putting it directly with contact with fire, then you know they all become black and eventually they get ruined. Uh, silver, silverware, all kinds of silver, you're allowed to use it for cold, but not for hot because it makes it black. If it comes with hot weather or hot, uh, hot fire, it makes it black. Maybe that's the reason why we have to clean the silverware every week, because it's in a, in a, in a hot environment, I guess. Then, if you find rakes, rakes, shovels, rakes, it's made for soft, but not for hard. If the, if, the, if the floor, if the ground is very hard, it's not for it. But if it's a soft one, then you can use it. But, but why? What are, what are they talking about? They're talking about a person who found a lost object. Found a lost object. Now he has to return it. Now he doesn't know where the owner of the object is. He put a sign in the market. A rake was found. A shovel was found. A silver plate was found. A copper plate was found. Now a person has to see the sign and contact him and give him signs. Oh, the plate is uh, 20 inches wide. Uh, it, it has a, a name on it. Once he gives signs, then he knows it's the owner of the object. So what happened until the person comes? It's in your closet already, two months, three months. You need it. Now you need a plate. You are, you are short one plate. You want to use it, but it's not yours. You're right now a keeper. You are called Shomer Chinam. You are keeping it. If you neglect it in a house and people steal it and the person comes to take it, you have to pay him for it. Only if they broke into your house, then you don't have to pay because you did what, you, what needs to be done. But if you left the windows or the door open and someone stole it, you cannot tell the person, I'm doing you a favor, I picked it up from the street and watch it until you come and now you want me to pay for it? It's not him, it's what Hashem says. Once you already started with the mitzvah, you have to do it in a proper way. You understand? So now the question is, in what situation you're allowed to use it? So they give an example. If you have a shovel or a rake, you can only use it if your ground in your field is very soft. Why? You're not going to rub it off. When the person comes a month later, it's still going to be in very good condition because it's very soft. It doesn't damage the tools. Also, if you want to use the silver and the copper, they tell you, cold, hot, they'll tell you which, one, which way will destroy it. 
But if you use it with cold, what's the problem? For instance, if I have a glass now, if I found a glass, if I drink a glass of water with this, cold water, any damage gonna be done? I can drink a thousand times with this, and the person come and I give it to him, and there's no difference. So why not? This is the rule. It's called Ze nehene veze eno chaser. He is enjoying, and the other one is not missing anything. You understand? Which means if I use something that belongs to you, but when I gave it back to you, it's exactly the same, same way it was, right? Exactly the same way it was, which means no damage was done to it. For instance, if I use a book, the more I use it, the more old it becomes. Eventually, it's, you have to bury it. It cannot be used anymore. But what happened if I used, uh, let's see if I use this. I want to weight something, so I put it on a scale, and I put uh, five cucumbers on the other side, and now I know it's one pound, because I know this is a pound, and then I put it back. Did I make any damage to it? No. Does a person can sue me for any damage? I didn't really make damage. Don't get me wrong, I didn't say it's allowed. I'm just saying, if you did use it, there's anything he can sue you for. The answer is no, what did he miss? Now we are talking about, once you become a keeper, obviously you get some benefits for watching it. You get permission to use it, but in a certain way that it won't be damaged. So we've, we, we spoke about uh, shovel and rakes, Use it with soft, but not with hard. Why? If you use it with hard, you rub it off, and it becomes used. Gold, gold utensils, and glass, what we, what we call clear glass, you cannot use it all until Eliyahu Navi will come, until Elijah, the prophet, will show up. What does it mean, until Elijah will show up? Until he comes to you in a dream? What does it mean? No, until the Mashiach come. Eliyahu Navi comes to announce the arrival of the Mashiach. So this is an expression the Gemara used. You put it away and there's no permission to use it ever. Even if it takes hundreds of years, no permission to use it. You watch it until one day either that person will remember that 20 years ago he lost it in your neighborhood or he left it in your house and went away and then he forgot to come take it. Or you know, you just stay like this. When Eliyahu Navi comes, he will tell you who, which person it belongs to. But right now, there's no permission to use it. Why we cannot use gold and clear glass? Why? Because this is something very precious. Now, today, gold is still very precious, especially now when he went to $1,500 an ounce. Either way, gold, everybody, everyone is... a is going to be upset if somebody uses gold tools without his permission, right? Because gold, it's an, it's an expensive thing. What about clear glass? Clear glass in our day is very cheap. The reason clear glass is very cheap, because today we have the machinery that does everything for, for very, very, it's a very easy thing today. We have the special ovens, they have all these things. Plus, today it's all done by factory. Here and there you see people who does it by hand, that it's very expensive. Like you go to Niagara Falls, there's a little store there, and the guy make all kinds of interesting glass thing. It's very expensive. But if you buy a regular uh, glass, which is, which is clear, 
How much it costs? Two dollars? One dollar? So that's a different story. We are talking now things that in the old days used to be very expensive. Only rich people were using it. So if you found something that is made from clear glass, it's almost in the same category like gold. What are you using it? You're going to break it. You're going to scratch it. Something can happen. It's cheap. You put hot water in it, it can explode. So many things can happen. You don't touch it until Eliyahu and Navi will come. The Gemara says, what happened? Oh, the Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, Le'olam ye'ekaspo shel adam matsui be'yado. Person that has savings. Savings. Make sure he has access to his saving. For instance, if you live here, don't hide your saving and the other side of the world under the tree where you used to live when you were a child. One time you have an emergency now, what are you going to do? You're going to go on a boat for three months until you get to your money? You need the money for time of emergency. Today we have planes, so it's not as bad. Worse comes to worse, you'll get it tomorrow. But we're talking, remember, 2,000 years ago, if you wanted to go from one country to the other, it's a matter of months in the middle of the ocean and also a life risk. And the boats of 2,000 years ago, it's not as safe as today when they're big, massive, and build well. It was all handmade. And there were many people who went on a trip, just never returned. You know, so make sure your money is in your hand. Doesn't mean only far distance. Means don't invest all your money. You want to invest money by this friend, by that friend, by your father-in-law business. So all your money is invested you are gaining monthly income from your investments, but you did not leave any money for yourself for time of emergency. What is it like today? Today, you have a checking account, you have a saving account. They don't pay you any interest. What is it? Not even 1% a year. So most people, most business people, they feel very bad keeping a lot of money in their checking account. They feel they're losing every month. Why? If he has a million dollars in his bank account, how much is going to get for it? A few thousand dollars a year interest. But he puts a million dollars in a business, he can make $100,000 profit every year with a million dollar investment. He can buy partnership, he can buy stock in a company, he can do all kinds of things, right? That's true, but there's also a disadvantage here. In time of war, a war started, a crazy president like Chavez come to control and all the Jews have to run away. Tomorrow he decides you cannot touch your money. Like he take American company, that's it, it's not yours anymore. He closed it. You have an American bank, he put a guy, we own it now. Same thing in Iran. The Muslim came, Khomeini came. Up to the time the Shah was there, Jews had rights. You can put money in the account. Hop, all of a sudden this crazy Khomeini comes, all the Iranian millionaire Jews had to escape with whatever they could take. Few rugs, few diamonds, some cash, and they ran. They run away from Turkey, from the border, Iraq, like animals. And how an animal run away in the desert? That's how they had to escape. Same thing Syria. One day, all the Jews have to leave Syria. How do they leave Syria? You know how they leave Syria? They had to risk their life. And first of all, when the Syrians let you leave, they never let you take all your family with you. You have to leave some of the children over there. There are Syrian Jews who had to leave Syria and left half of their children there. Why? Because it's either everyone will die or half of us will die. 
So they took the boy, if they had uh, four boys, so they took the two that were strong physically that they will be able to walk all the way in the middle of the night in a forest until they arrive to Turkey and from there to Israel. This is what happened. So all the money you have, if your money is invested, what are you going to do? You're going to come to Ahmed and Muhammad, hey, I'm leaving the country tomorrow, I want my money tomorrow. You think he's going to give you the money back? He's going to take advantage that you leave. I know one Persian family, their father had a lot of money invested. They had to leave Iran because of all the problem, and all the money is gone. He could never get it back. You understand? So this is what the Gemara say. Make sure there is always enough money in your vault, in your safe, under the ground, somewhere that you have access to it in time of problems. You never know. What happened a few years ago in Argentina? The country went bankrupt. You can have millions of dollars in a bank account. You come to get it from the ATM, you see an X. No access to your money. Go to the teller, you can get $200 a week. That's it. Whatever. Well, I have a $100 million here. What do you mean $200? Enough for food, sir. That's the order of the government. The government is collapsing. If they're not going to take all the money of the people, people will kill each other here on the street. You have to wait a year until you have access to your money. What happened? All the people who work in the banks, what do you think they did? They stuffed trucks, trucks, stuffed them with cash that they stole from the bank safes and went away across the border to Chile, to other countries, with millions of dollars in the trunk. Argentinian officer that used to make $1,000 a year, all of a sudden stuffed $3 million in a truck and escaped across the border and bribed the people over there. And they stole all your money. You understand? Bottom line, you need always to have enough money for time of problems. And don't be greedy. Wow, I, have a, I hid $100,000 under the ground. Every month I'm losing, you know, the money is losing its value. I'm not making any income on it. This money will save your life maybe one day. You don't know, especially if you're Jew. If you're non-Jew, your risk is lower. It still need to put, this is for everyone, not only for Jews. But when you are a Jew, your risk is always 10 times greater than anybody else because they can just take away all your money just because of who you are. You know, if they decide that you don't have rights, you just don't have rights. What did I just hear that Delta Airline made a rule that Jews are not allowed to fly to Saudi Arabia, what, with their planes? Did you hear about it or no? Here in America, Delta Airlines. Yeah, I wonder how many foolish Jews will continue to fly Delta after this. Probably their planes is full of Jews. Who knows, who knows? Who knows what can happen? All right, so now. So, Amar make sure your money always is in your hand. There's always excess. As the Torah say in the Deuteronomy 14, Vetzarta hakesef beyadcha. Hold to your money very tight. Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak say, Le'olam yeshalesh adam ma'otav. A person has to know. Third of your money, invest in real estate. In a house, in another house, you know properties, fields, lands, whatever. A third in merchandise, business, could be retail, buying and selling, whatever you sell. And a third under your pillow, under your hand, yes. Make sure you have access to a third of your money. What happens if you only have $200 in your bank account? 
Obviously, a third of that in your hand won't help you. Then you have to keep the whole $200 in your account. We're talking when you have enough money that you can invest a third, which means this is what uh, today you go to a bank, they make a special CD for you. Today, it's a very bad time to close your money five years in CD. In five years from now, maybe they won't be United States. How do you know? You know what can happen here? You know, when the government will collapse, you know what's going to happen. Whatever money you put over there will go down to zero. You can put a million dollars in a CD, and five years from now, the dollar won't worth a penny. So all this saving that you think you're making 3-4% interest a year, it's all an illusion. Better to have cash or gold or silver in your hand, especially in our days. The Gemara continues. He found a big bag full of things, fruits. Wheat, whatever it is, this is something that it's not possible to carry now. You see a huge bag of fruit, what are you going to carry now this, to, 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 to watch it for somebody who left it over here? What am I going to be, a slave? Walking now all the way 10, 10 miles away to my home and carry this bag of oranges on my back because just somebody lost it or it fell from a truck? What am I going to do now? You don't have an obligation to carry. Dora didn't tell me to become a slave just because somebody lost it. We're talking something normal. I found a book, I found a ball, I found a wallet, I found glasses, I found a, a jacket, things that you know you carry, you, you watch it, the person come and you give it back. How do you know that we have permission to ignore it if it's big? Maybe we're still obligated to bring a worker and take it. How do you know? The, the Torah says, Sometimes you have permission to ignore it. The Torah says, when? Sometimes you ignore, sometimes you not ignore. How? If he's a Kohen and he found a wallet inside the cemetery, fell from someone's pocket, you're standing by the fence, and you see inside between the graves, there's a wallet. You don't have permission to enter the cemetery, you're a coin. Now, if you're not going and picking up the wallet, are you a sinner? No. You don't have permission to enter a cemetery, you dismiss. Ah, if there's another Jew over there, you call him. Hey, Moshe, look, there's a wallet. Somebody lost it. Go get it. And then we'll announce about the lost object. So this is here, here is a typical example how what happens if it's an old man, an 80 years old man, and there is a little $5 ball on the floor? Somebody lost it. So what, an 80 old years man going to pick up the ball? Is a big rabbi, chacham, going to walk in the street with a ball and everyone laugh at him? Then he doesn't have to. Zaken ve'ena lefich vodo. It's not respect for someone like this to walk with this. Or you found a pair of shoes in the middle of the road. So now the chief rabbi of Israel is going to walk in the street with shoes. Excuse me, anybody lost a pair of cracks? What's the point? You had to be logic. Okay, then what else? Or that you have to invest more to return it than the actual value of the item. Yeah, I don't know, you found uh, short, uh, shorts. How much a short cost in Walmart? $10? Now, to find a person who owns these shorts will cost me $100. I have to lose work. I have to go write signs, put signs in the area. If somebody left uh, black and, uh, and, uh, and yellow shor shorts, size such and such, ah, 
What is the point here? So that means, in that case, you are dismissed. Then when the Torah say, you're allowed to ignore it. The Gemara says, Rabbi Ishmael be Rabbi Yossi, the son of Rabbi Yossi, Ava Ka'azil be Orcha, was walking on his way. Paga be Ahu Gavra de Avale, Dare Pachta de Ofe. He met somebody on the way, and uh, he saw that this person is sitting and crying. Something fell, something fell to that person, and he couldn't reach it. So he saw that he's sitting and crying, and he told him, help me, help me, get it for me, get it for me. So he told him how much it worth. He told him, palga de zuza, half a zuz. Zuz, it's a coin, money, zuz, right? If a person uh, gets married, how much he writes to his wife in a ketubah? 200 zuz. That's the value of the compensation that a person gives his wife in the time of her marriage, or in the time of the divorce, or if he dies. So, so the Gemara says, in this case, it's, why, by the way, why money calls Zuz? You know why money calls Zuz? What does it mean Zuz in Hebrew? Move. Move. Why money called move? Money has few names. One is Damim, blood. If you steal the money, it's like stealing the blood of a person. Why money called move? Because money, the nature of money is always to move from one hand to each other. Healthy economy is when money is moving a lot. Sick economy, money is not moving, it's standing, which means banks are afraid to give loans. They, they sit on their assets. They're afraid to give credit. Everything is stuck. Nobody buys anything. Real estate is collapsing. Why? There is no movement of the money. Once the money is moving, everything becomes healthy. Right away, people buy, sell, they, they take, they pay back, they buy again. That's called zuzim. That's why the Torah called money zuz, move. It's always on a move. So now he told him, how much it worth? He told him half a zuz. He came to him and said, here is the money, leave me alone. Now I have to run after that, pick it up, forget about it. Take your half a zoo. Let's see, what is it like? You walk in the street, and uh, you are here, and somebody is on the third floor. And something fell from the third floor, and he's calling you from upstairs. Do me a favor. I'm a handicap. I'm on a wheelchair. I cannot come down. Can you bring it up to me? Now you're in a rush. So you, told, you, told, you, told, you tell him how much it worth. He said to you, Five dollars. Now you're thinking until I get it, until I see you take, you know, you take five, I don't know, five coins, you throw it into his terrace and say, take your money, leave me alone. Then you take it and you put it on the side and you leave. Kosher or not kosher? What do you think? You can take it for himself, no? He's already paying Well, if he cannot get it, it's basically lost. Now you have an obligation to return it to him. But what happens if it's not worth it for you? Can you redeem your obligation by paying money? Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a guest in your house, or somebody come to America and is landing in the airport, and you're thinking now, I have to leave work. I have to go to the airport to wait an hour until he comes out, or five hours, depends, right? 
So until he comes out, and then I put the car in a parking, and then I have to drive him with all the rush hour traffic, I might as well tell him, take a cab, I'll pay it. Why most people go to pick up people from the airport was they embarrassed to tell them, take a cab and I'll pay it. They don't want to offend them. But really, if you think about it, it's better for both sides. Much better. What? You waste five hours of your time to, to pick up somebody? You pay $20, $30 for the cab. It's better for you. But the question is, if it's disrespect or not, what do you think? Yeah. Or you tell your guests, listen, I would take you to the airport. Yeah. I, when I was in uh, Boca Raton, I stayed by a guy, and he said, I'm very sorry, I don't have time to drive you to the airport. That was the first time. Second time, he drove me already. <laughs> but the first time when he still didn't know me so much, he didn't feel so obligated. So he said, don't worry, I, raved the ri I arranged a ride for you. Send me a guy with a fancy car, his driver. The driver got water for me, everything, drove me to the airport. I said, better, better for me. I sit in the back, peace of quiet, <laughs> you know. Better for me, what's the problem? I didn't get offended. Well, I got to the airport, fine, very good. But the question is, next time, he said, no, I'm driving you this time. Why? Next time he was already embarrassed. You understand? So we drove together. But the question is really, sometimes it's much easier. So I order a cab, I took care of it, goodbye. This is what's going on here. He told him, listen, take half a zoos and basically leave me alone. Now what did he do with this? Uh, it was a donkey with some merchandise on it. So the merchandise fell, bags, whatever it was, bags, breads, whatever. So he said, I'm making it hefker. Everyone who wants it can get it. Anyone is hungry here, poor, whatever, come, it's yours. What happened? The person who owns that donkey with the merchandise ran quickly and grabbed it. He said, it's mine. Now I need your help again. See what happened here? He gave him the money for him to leave him alone because he's in a rush. He doesn't want to start walking and carrying bags. So he say, here is your half a zoos. Whatever you lost, you lost. Leave it here and go. Here is your money. Once he announced it's healthcare, everyone can get it. That person, the greedy, grabbed on it, fell on it, and said, oh, I grabbed it. So now it's mine again. Now can you please help me? <laughs> no, what, what would you do if you were there? So he say, OK, here is another. Half a zoos, but now he scream, it's hefker to the whole world except to you. <laughs> now you go, you got your money already. So what do we see from here? That to ignore him, to ignore your brother Jew stuck with his merchandise, fell from the donkey and he cannot pick it up, you can't. To force yourself to work uh, like a mover and start picking up all kinds of things, you don't have to. So what's the right solution? Money solved the problem. I remember when I was a kid, my father was telling me a story. He, he liked that story very much. In the old days in Israel, more than 30 years ago, they used to sell milk in uh, glass bottles. You exchange it. You don't throw the bottles. It used to be expensive glass bottles. Not like today, you buy, you throw it away or recycling, whatever. So the milkman used to have a bicycle, three wheels, two in the front, one in the back, he sits on it, and he goes like this. 
And he, can, he gets to the factories where they make the diamonds there in Ramat Gan in Israel. So he's 10, everybody here, the windows are open, he scream, milk! So people come down, they buy from him. So this guy was a, an older Ashkenazi person, his name was Shmil. Shmil. Shmil, it means, in case you didn't know, it's Shmuel. Shmuel, Samuel. Shmuel is from the Tanakh. But some Jews from Hungary and from Russia and some area, Poland, that's how they talk. Instead of Shmuel, they say Shmiel. That's his name. So Shmiel is selling milk. So one time, he sold the, one of the workers sour, sour milk. You know, remember in the heat of Israel, all you need is three, four hours without refrigerator, it becomes spoiled. Now, I hate milk to begin with, but imagine someone who likes milk and it's sour, forget it, it's a poison. That, that worker got so angry, so when Shmiel came out of the building, he came up to the place and sold them the milk, now he's on the way up with the empty bottles, so that worker spilled the milk from the window right on his head. Now remember, it was a cream. It fell like one piece on his head. So you know what happened in a moment like this? The blood is injecting into the brain. And if you have a knife in your hand, that's it. So this Shmi looked up. He saw the face of the guy. He knocked down all the bottles. And he started to run like crazy. So you have about 25 seconds until he get to the third floor. So the guy said, oh, I think I went too far. What am I going to do now? So my father told him, prepare one lira. One lira was like, uh, like $10 today. He say, as soon as he come, comes out of the, the stairs, he comes to the place, stand like this with a lira, and say, I'm sorry, Shmil. <laughs> I say, well, you, you crazy? You think he's going to buy it? So don't worry. Money is a remedy for all problems. So this Shmiel comes with such anger, he's ready to kill him. He goes, I'm sorry, Shmiel, forgive me. He stood like this. He took the money, turned around, and went. That one word he said. <laughs> That's what we say in Hebrew. Baal ameah ubal adea. Who understands Hebrew here? Mea in Hebrew means hundred. Dea means opinion. The owner of the hundred, the owner of the mea, the hundred, become the owner of the opinion as well. <laughs> the one who built the yeshiva is the real rabbi. Right? The rabbi gets a salary from him. The rabbi wants to tell him, your wife is not modest. How do you let her come to shul like this? What happened tomorrow? The owner of the hundred sent the rabbi for a hundred days in exile. Yeah. Rabbi, take vacation. Come back in three months. That's what's happening. I get invited sometimes by some of the rabbis, I don't want to tell you which, to come give lectures in their community about problematic manners. Why? Because they're afraid to talk about it. Because they know they get fired. What's the point? You say, come, throw all the truth in their face. You're an outsider. They get angry at you a few days, and it's over. Me, I have to live with them here. <laughs> well, at least they care about the truth, that the Torah will, you know, will be the rule of the place. But then the Gemara continue. 
the Gemara says, you lost your object and your father lost an object. Your wallet and your father's wallet is gone. Who do you have to search for first? For yours or for your father's wallet? But the Torah say your life come first. If you have water and you are with your best friends in the desert, and there's enough water only for you to survive or for him, but not for both of you. One has to die, that's it, until you get to a safe place. Are you, are you allowed to give him the water and die? No, you have to drink first. That's, that's what the Torah says, Chayecha Kodmim. Unless if it's a big Talmid Chacham. If it's a big rabbi that the whole generation needs him, then you're allowed to sacrifice your life. If it's the king of Israel, yes. Because many, many people depend on him. That's already a, sto a different story. But it's an ordinary person. You don't have to give him. But here, your wallet and your father's wallet. Who comes first? You have to search for your own lost object before you search for his own thing. Why? Like I said, this is money you worked and you made, and this is his money. Your life comes first. You, if you want to give up your money, of course you have the right. You can do whatever you want. But if you search for your wallet first, it's not a sin. That's what the Gemara says. Okay, no, next. You lost something and your rabbi lost something. Who do you have to search for first? Huh? Yours is first. Avedato Kodemet. You lost your wallet and your, your rabbi lost his wallet. Your money, your lost object comes first. Your father lost his wallet and your rabbi lost his wallet. And you have only time to search for one of them. Who are you obligated to start with? Your father or your rabbi? The answer is, your rabbi comes first. That your father brought you to this world, which is temporary, and your rabbi will bring you to life of eternity. You owe him much more respect than to your father. Interesting. Then, what happens if your father is also a rabbi? Is your father, your father and a rabbi and your rabbi? Who comes first? Huh? Your father. Your father comes first. If your father is a Talmid Chacham, Aviv Kodemet, Shel Aviv Kodemet, your father comes first. Aya Aviv Verabonos Imasoi, your father and your rabbi is carrying heavy weight on their back. And they need help to bring it down to the floor. Both of them arrive to you, to your house, and they carry a big suitcase on their back. Oi, oi. And you have to run to help one of them to take his suitcase down. Who do you have to start with? Your rabbi or your father? Rabbi. Your rabbi comes first. First, your rabbi, you bring his suitcase down. Then your father. Your father and your rabbi was in prison, God forbid. And you have enough money to redeem one of them. You need a million dollars here, and you need a million dollars for him. The going will release each one of them for a million dollars. It was very common in the old days. They used to take important people and ask for money. Ransom. In Mexico, it's still very common. They kidnap Jewish rich kids, 
And they want $3 million for it. How much a Mexican makes in a year, do you know? $1,000 a year. All year he walks like a donkey, 12 hours a day in a, in a road, in the field, in 110 degrees. $1,000 a year he makes. Then he comes, he kidnaps one Jewish boy, he gets $3 million, he runs away from Mexico, and that's it. Very easy way, no? So, here it's not so common. You don't hear that much. But by the way, today they advertise, they put an ad in a community connection, I think it was in Muncie, to, to talk to the children and tell them all the risks that are out there. I guess things happen if they put a big ad in a newspaper, that there are people who come and ask them to show them a street, to show them a way. Can you help me to carry a bag for my car? I'm an old man, I cannot take it. Little kids, or oh, I have things for you. Can you tell me if it's kosher? All kinds of things like this. And the innocent kids, they want to do a mitzvah. It comes to very critical days, you know. Like today, you cannot trust anyone. You want to give a right to a person. Just because he has a yarmulke or a hat or a beard doesn't mean he's not a terrorist. The Hamas terrorists in Israel, they put Israeli uniforms, the military uniforms, and they, sit, they stand on the road, pretend that they hitchhike. And you think that you give a right to a soldier, you stop, then he sits in the back, and he, st and, he, and, he, and he put a gun to your head, and that's it. That's how they do. They pretend they're soldiers. So many people now don't stop for soldiers anymore. How do I know it's soldier and not Ahmed? How do I know? It's, it's, not, it's very hard to know. Why. It's very difficult. Same thing here. Or, or somebody wants to sleep in your house. If you don't know him very well, how do you know what's going to happen? If you remember, once I told you a story with Rav Yaakov Kaminetsky, that the rich man didn't want to let him and his wife enter the house, and they kept them outside of the house all night in the snow, just because the night before he let somebody sleep in his house, and he, saw, he stole all the things from him and ran away. So the rabbi and his wife almost died. That was when he was in his 20s, because of one crook that came to sleep in his house and stole everything and disappeared. So. If you have to redeem your father or your Rebbe, who comes first? The Rebbe comes first, but if the father is a Chacham also, he knows Torah, then the father comes out first. The Gemara says, how do you know all this? Okay, it all makes sense. You gave me a reason. Your Rabbi brings you to eternity, your father brought you to this world. Then you owe him much more. But how do we know it 100%? Amar Rabbi Yehuda Amarav, this we see it in the Torah. Ephes ki lo yihye becha evyon. The Torah says in Deuteronomy 15, Dvarim Tetvav, Ephes ki lo yihye becha evyon. What does it mean evyon? Someone who has nothing, very poor, has nothing, nothing to his name. Shelcha kodem leshel kol adam. Sometimes there are verses in the Torah that when you read it, you don't really pay attention what it means. One of them is, V'chai achicha imach. Your brother should survive with you. What do you learn from this verse? What does it mean? Your brother should survive with you. What did, what did Hashem mean by saying this? Who knows? 
Nobody knows. Come on. No, Sammy. What does it mean your brother should survive with you? Huh? The answer is... The answer is, he should survive with you, which means you come first. If you die and he survive, that's not what I want. First you survive, and he will survive with you. That means everything that connects to you comes first. That's what it means. Otherwise, why does the Torah have to say with you? Your brother should survive. Do everything to, to, to save your brother. It wouldn't mention you. Save your brother. You understand? So you're not supposed to risk your life to save another one's life? Oh, that's a good question. Are you allowed to risk your own life to save your Jewish brother's life? The answer is no. But then there's a much more complicated question. Are you allowed to risk your finger to save the life of a Jew? I know that by saving him, I'm losing a finger. I'm losing a hand. Something. I can lose uh, an eye, I can lose an ear. Some part of my body I will be defected now. But I saved the life of a person. Allowed or not allowed? Or permitted, or I should say permitted or not permitted? Permitted to take such risk? Or another question. My life will be risked, not for sure. Maybe yes, maybe not. I don't know what's happened there in Lebanon. Maybe there's Hezbollah soldiers there, maybe not. And I know a Jew is wounded over there. So I want to walk at 2 o'clock at night, and I have a GPS, I know where he is. So I'm going to go in the jungles of Lebanon and get him on my shoulder and take him out to an Israeli area. How do I know? Maybe it's a truck. Maybe there are Arabs walking in the middle of the forest. Maybe yes, maybe not. No guarantee. If there are for sure soldiers over there, these terrorist murderers, then I don't have permission to go. I have no permission to commit suicide. But if I don't know, so for sure he will die if I don't save him. And me, maybe yes, maybe not. So maybe we have a certain death, and maybe death, maybe certain is higher than maybe. Should I go for the certain, or should I go for my life even when it's maybe? What's the answer? You know how many hundreds of books were written about these two questions? You want that in one minute? Shame on you. You gotta come to yeshiva three, four years and learn about these two questions and you see how many answers and arguments just about these two questions. But anyway, I know you're not gonna come to the yeshiva. <laughs> so I'll tell it to you anyway. The answer is, you have no obligation to lose any part of your body for the, for the life of any other Jew. And needless to say, a goy, which is not your brother. But even for your own cousin, you have no obligation. If you want to do it, it's very nice of you. But if you don't want to do it, Hashem is not holding you liable for his death. Also, if you have maybe a life risk, not guaranteed, maybe, you don't have any obligation to risk your life, even maybe. You understand? So 
you see from here how important it is that you come first. You come first and everybody else comes after. Then the Gemara says, Tanu Rabbanan. Does, what does it mean, your rabbi? Who is your rabbi? Someone who taught you how to put filling 20 years ago in your bar mitzvah? Someone who you see on Shabbat in a synagogue speaking five minutes after the davening? Someone that is the Rosh Yeshiva where you learn, but you get to say hello to him a minute a day? Someone who you learn one hour a day with in Yeshiva? Someone who every question you have, you ask him? Someone who made you religious and then you didn't see him for 10 years? Who is your rabbi? Everyone who is a chacham is your rabbi? Every, every rabbi that you see, are, are we talking about this? Or only your particular rabbi that you learn all your Torah from him? Or most of your Torah from him? Who is considered your rabbi? Very good question, no? Who knows who is his rabbi? Raise his hand. Who is your rabbi? First of all, there are many people who cannot point on one rabbi that they learn almost everything from. They learn 5% from him, 5% from him, 7% from him, 2% from him. Who knows? Huh? It's very hard to know. If I have five rabbis who influence me very much in my life, can I swear which one of them taught me the most? Who do I owe more than the other? I, I myself don't know. Even if I want to know, I don't know. Right? Even when someone makes you religious, do you think he made you religious from zero to 100%? It's almost never the case. He can give you the 50% push in the beginning. But if somebody else wouldn't continue the job, you would go back to be on the, you know, Mechalel Shabbat. A month later, you would forget everything. So somebody else continue the job. Or sometimes, Every lecture you heard here, there, there, it's 5%, 10%, 50%, 20%, until you were convinced. So who do you really owe? Very hard question. The answer is, Rabo shelimdo chokmah, velo rabo shelimdo mikra mishnah. Divre Rabbi Meir. If you have few rabbis who teach you in yeshiva, one teach you Mishnah, one teach you Chumash, and one teach you Gemara. Who from the three would be your main rabbi? The one who taught you the Chumash, the actual Torah, or Mishnah, or Gemara? Which one? Gemara. Not that the other two is not important. But Gemara is the main learning. Why? It's the highest quality of learning and the highest reward. Why? It's the most difficult to understand. That's called Amala Torah. Learning Torah without sweating and killing your brain until you understand, you have some reward, but it's not really the, the top league. But learning Gemara, by the way, what we do is learning Gemara. This Talmud series is learning Gemara. But, believe it or not, this series is not as popular as all my other lectures. Because for some people, as soon as they see the word Talmud, it's like fire. Oh, no, not for me. I'm not in this level. Even though it's really, really very low level of learning. We'll try to make it 
for every, every person on the street to be able to understand. We're not really going deep. In the Gemara, it's, uh, you, you see smoke comes out of your ears after learning in a yeshiva. We we'll try to keep it very low, down to earth, and still is not as popular. Same thing, Taryag Mitzvot series. There's a lot of sacrifices, all kinds of laws. People are not interested in this. Ah, Rabbi, we don't sacrifice today. Why should I know it? They think the Torah, it's like learning how to operate your laptop. Just teach me what I need to know about the laptop, the rest I'm not, I'm not in graphic, I'm not an artist. I don't know this, I don't need this, I'm not recording, I don't need this. Just teach me how to send emails. This is what I tell my guys. When you take care of my website, you don't have to explain me what you do anyway, I don't understand anything. For me, it's Chinese. Just tell me, after what you do, what's going to happen? <laughs> That's all. What's going to be for the viewers, what's going to be the difference? It's going to be this screen, bigger, faster, fast forward, rewind. That's it. Why do I care? This plugin, if you do here, you have to do it there. And uh, why do I know about these things? You understand? But Torah, it's not like that. One time a person asked me, why do I need to know how the rabbis reach that verdict? I just want to know what to do, what not to do. Why are you telling me the whole history of this halacha in the Gemara? This, uh, that opinion, it doesn't understand that that's what makes Hashem happy. That you dig all the way to the root of the thing. That's what it means learning Torah. That's why it's so important. So the one who taught you Gemara, and the one who taught you Bereshit Shmot Vaikra Bamidbar Dvarim, the one who taught you Gemara is higher. No, fine. You always break like this into the speaker words? No, I tell you why. Because first you raise your finger. You see, I ignored it. So you did it the Israeli way. Let's first talk, and then we'll make it already a fact. But what can I do? I'm a nice guy. I surrender to you. What's the question? No? Uh, Female? Female, usually it's completely different because everything we spoke, here, we spoke here about is about a man. But for a female, if she married to her husband, her husband is a rabbi. Because anyway, whatever she asks, she asks him. Is this kosher? Can I cook this? What do I do by mistake? I, this pot, milk fell into it. Every, you know, it's very interesting. I sent a couple to Israel. I mean, they went to Israel and I sent them to the rabbi who runs my yeshiva in Israel. I sent them to meet with them. I wanted these wealthy people to see how my students in my yeshiva in Israel lives. That they will never ever dare to complain in their whole life about their situation. Because they live in a huge mansion that worth millions of dollars and, and pool and courts and, and, and servants and, and they always worry What's going to be, you know, business is not as good, or this and that. I can't, it's too much for me. The children, they're driving me crazy. I wanted them to see how 10 kids playing in the kitchen from the minute they come from school. They have five hours until they go to sleep. They're all inside the little tiny kitchen while the wife is trying to cook for Chavez. I wanted them to see it. So, so when the woman went there and saw how they live, she almost fainted. Because the size of the whole house is like her laundry room. And I'm not exaggerating. The size of the entire apartment is like, just like her laundry area with all the machines. But then she asked her, who is your rabbi? 
So the, the woman, she said, what do you mean, who's my rabbi? My husband is my rabbi. But this is two women who comes from such different world. The woman, the rich woman, her husband is a very nice guy, but he doesn't know a lot of Torah. He's trying, he's learning, he's about Shuvah, he's learning, but he doesn't know in a level enough to teach her everything. So every question she has, she has to call up her rabbis. So for her, it's impossible that my husband will be my rabbi. But all the people there, were in the area where I'm talking to, every husband is a rabbi. <laughs> Everyone here, this guy, this guy. They're all in yeshivot all their life. So every wife asks her, her husband what to do. So in that case, now, now you, I know what you're going to ask me. But what happens if the woman is not married? So now she doesn't have a rabbi? So her father is a rabbi, if he knows. If he's not uh, Talmud Chacham, he doesn't know. Then the rabbi in a place where she go and ask questions. She asks questions, who's the rabbi? Who's the rabbi? She asks questions. Or a rebetzen, a wife, that she asks her the question, she can ask from her husband and she answer her the questions. This is really for women. But let's go back to here because time will run out on us any minute. So let's at least finish this page. So the Gemara says, it says like this. Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda says, so the opinion of Rabbi Meir, the one who taught you Gemara, is more important than Chumash and Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda says, Kol sherov chokhmato himeno. The one who taught you most of what you know, most of what you know, he is the one who is considered your rabbi. Rabbi Yossi says, even taught you one Mishnah, one minute in your whole life, or five minutes, he taught you something from the Torah, that's already your rabbi. You understand what we're saying here? You have your father who raised you in the last 20 years. You are 20 years old now. Your father went to jail. And you have one rabbi from the neighborhood that one time you came to him and asked him a question, and five minutes he explained you the answer, explained to you the answer. According to Rabbi Yossi, if both of them went to jail, you have to save that, to save that stranger that taught you five minutes Torah. You already owe him more than what you owe your father for the last 20 years of raising you. You understand a little bit now the value of the Torah or no? Yes. If the Chevrut yes, teach you Torah, yes. Yes. Sometimes Chevruta is two people in the same level, so they learn together. But even if they learn together, even your student teach you Torah from his questions, from making, a, you know, make it, making it difficult for you. He sends you to find the answers. Automatically, he'll elevate your level. Even Mishnah Achat Zehu Rabo. Today, I saw an answer about this question. In our time, that is completely different world than the time when this was written. When this was written, there was nothing in life besides Torah. That's it, Torah. Today, there's a different world. So the answer is like this. Today, since many of the people that they are not in yeshiva, someone who is in yeshiva, he has hundreds of rabbis who taught him in the last 20 years. It's very difficult to know. So we go by the last one. 
The one who teach you in the last year is your main rabbi. You're asking him your questions, so he's your right now, your rabbo amuvak. But there are thousands of people who are not routine visitors in yeshiva every day. They go here and there to learn, or one hour a day, or two hours a day. But they don't really have a particular rabbi. So the answer is, the one who made them religious, or influenced them to start with religion, they owe him their life. Everything. This is the most important person in their life. Why? He is the one who, thanks to him, maybe I'll make it to life of eternity. Which means he comes before everyone in my life, before my rabbi, before my, uh, before my other rabbis, before my father, before everybody else. Very interesting. Then we have three more minutes. Hopefully I'll be able to finish it. We said before, right? We said that the money of a person should be in his hand and the investment should be a third in real estate, a third in merchandise, and a third always in your position. Everything, it's in your hand. Then the Gemara says, someone who goes to buy fruit, wholesaler, you have a retail vegetable store, you come to buy a thousand pounds of melons. You bring your truck, he gives you all the melons in your truck, and you didn't pay him the money yet. Something happened now to the melons, I don't know, hurricane, it got all smashed and fell from the bridge. Is this considered that you own the melon, or since you did not pay it, he is still the owner? When officially you become the owner to know who to blame, who's gonna pay for the damage? You go to a store, you stand by the register, someone gives you a camera. Somebody gives you a camera, you, hold, you look at the camera, you put it on the counter, you didn't pay it. And a little kid came and pulled it and it fell on the floor and broke to pieces. You, you took uh, pickles, you went to Costco, they have big pickles glass, and you have a genius kid, he plays with this, it falls in front of 500, go in there, it all became a pickle swimming pool. You were supposed to pay for it in a register, and now everyone looks at you, it's a $3 can. Wow, look what he did, he, the whole Costco is going bankrupt because of these pickles. What happened? Do you, are you obligated to pay for it since you did not cross the register yet? Is it considered yours once it's in your card? Or only after the, you leave the store, you come out of the territory, you become the owner. Can they sue you for that? Or do you have to pay? You don't have to pay? What's the halacha? You went into a store. You found a diamond ring inside the store, an area where thousands of people stand every day. Is this considered that the owner of the store is the owner of it? Or anyone who found it? This is things that happens to us every day. So, mashach mimeno perot, you receive the fruits, the merchandise. Velonatan lomaot, did not give him money yet, he gave him credit for a week, pay me next week. Next week I have money, I'll give you, okay. Eno yachol achzorbo. An hour later he calls him, I want to return all the melons back to you. Why? I don't like them. So he said to him, why didn't you check it while you buy me? Now you took it, you want to return it? I'm sorry, I'm not taking it back. Who's right? The Gemara says, You cannot cancel the deal. You took it, 
It's yours, finished. Natan Lomaot, you gave him money. Here I'm sending you my guy with money. Tomorrow I'll pick up the melons. He received the cash. But you did not take the food. Tomorrow you, can, you change your mind. I don't want to take the melon. Send me back my money. Say, I'm sorry, no refund. I'm taking you to court, to Beidin. Who's right? You gave him money. He received the money, but you did not pick up your melon yet. Or any other merchandise. Who's right? He must give you back your money. What do we learn from here? That giving money or receiving money, it's not finalizing the deal. It's only a, a part of the process, but it's not the final step in a deal. When is the final step? That the merchandise go from the territory or from the position of the owner into the position of the buyer. Even if you stand on the other side of the counter, anywhere from the counter to the door of the store, it's considered the street, the public area, even though you pay rent for the whole store, right? You can decide what to, what to do in the area of the customers. Up to the counter, all the way inside, every lost object belongs to the owner. If somebody lost it there, it's mine. It's my territory. But if it's from the counter to the, to the window, to the door, whoever finds it from the customers, it's his. What happens if I let my neighbors cut from my property to do a shortcut? And now there is a path. You know, you see this grass all over. All of a sudden, you see sand, a line of sand. Why? People constantly walking there, so they kill the grass. And then one of them walked there, and a diamond ring fell on the floor. And an hour later, somebody else walked, and he saw the diamond on the floor and picked it up. And I see him from my balcony. And I say, hey, what are you doing? So I found this diamond ring here. He said, well, it's my property. Don't you know the rule? Everything that is in my property automatically is mine, even if I didn't know about it. You have to come and give it to me. So he said to me, I'm sorry, that's not your property. You gave this line of property to the public. And you know that public are walking in, right? So therefore, I found it. It's like finding it on the street. Who's right? Huh? He's right. Once I'm, I give permission to everyone who wants to walk there, that's it. It's like an easement, yes. Easement, you need seven years. Unless if I put a sign, no transparency, and, and they walk anyway, they don't have permission to take from the floor anything. Why? They took, they stole it from me. They don't even have permission to be here. It's like a thief. A thief come to rob you in the middle of the night, and there was oil on the floor, and he fell and broke his leg. Then he sent you the doctor bill, $50,000. You don't pay him, he take you to court. In Israel or in America, the judge will be foolish enough to give him the money. Yeah, you know, we're liberal here. You have to pay him. Why did you put oil in your kitchen? <laughs> but in the Beidin, they send him you know where. <laughs> what are you doing in his home, Bechlal? You know, what happened is Rav Zilberstein was in a hospital in Israel, sitting. He came to visit a person that had an operation. 
and then they announce on the microphone, Dr. X, Dr. X, please run to the emergency room. So the doctor heard that, and he was right, standing right by Rav Zilberstein, and he started to run, and there was a bag, there was a bag on one of the chairs that has like a leash that you hang it on your shoulder, you know those ones? So he got caught in his leg, the bag fell, and there was an expensive camera inside. And it fell on the floor, and that's it. But the doctor ran, because there was, you know, they called his name. Then the person that went, I guess, to the bathroom came back, and he saw the bag on the floor, he picked it up, and he saw that the camera got broken. So he came to Rav Zilberstein, he told him, excuse me, did you see who knocked down the, 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 the bag to the floor? So he told him, now, you know, he cannot say a lie. He could have said to him, I, don't, I didn't see, and finished. So he told him, I saw, but I cannot tell you. So he told him why. He said, because I know what's going to happen. You will sue him in a secular court, and they will make him pay for it. And according to the Torah, he's not guilty. Because the Torah say, when you go to save, you are dismissed for financial damages. If you come to help me put the fire in my home, and while you're doing it, you, by mistake, knock down a Picasso picture that brought $50 million into the fire, you are not guilty of it. Because if you will be guilty, Hashem said, nobody will come to help. Why should I risk myself? I come to save his house, and in the end, he's going to sue me. First thing I heard after I land in the United States in 1989 for my father friend who picked me up from Kennedy Airport in September 1989, 22 years ago. On the way from Kennedy Airport to Great Neck, which is about 25 minutes ride, on, I think, I believe it was on a van week, two things I heard from him. The first one, I'm not going to lose everything you have, because if you make your wife cry for money issues or for other things, the one who will really suffer is you more than anybody else. Amar Rabbi Chelbo, and that's the last thing for today, Amar Rabbi Chelbo, Le'olam ye adam zair b'chvod ishto. Person has to be very careful with the honor of his wife, with respecting her. We learn it from the Torah that the Torah wrote a verse. Hashem benefit Abraham thanks to Sarah. Every good that Abraham got was thanks to his wife, Sarah Imenu. You want to be rich? Rava said to the people of his town, you want to be rich? All of you working and working, you want to be rich? Respect your wife with everything you can. Gifts, attention, help in the house, never to be angry, whatever. That's the best way to become wealthy. And what about if you're single? There's other ways. <laughs> I read your mind, I saw it. <laughs> what about if you're single? There's other ways, but time, time ran out. It's already time. I have another lecture. We'll see you next time. Thank you very much.